Oh boy. Hello, everybody. It's been a long time since we've seen each other or heard from each other. Where one broadcast just concluded no more than five minutes ago. But I'm happy to be here live, almost exclusively on QuiteFrankly.tv, but also on DLive, just to make sure that there is one other, one other place out there. But here we are, we're here. I see people are filing into the chat room. I see Judy, 0309, Moira in New York City, Josh, what's going on, Josh? We have some uh, studio, uh, some network uh, hands and specialists are here. What's going on, Ross? Sharon, hello everyone. Welcome to Book Club. And of course, it's creepy music. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get Book Club uh, intros made, something that's a little bit more across the board, cozy, like you're in a, I don't know, like a, a cafe, coffee, these, these wonderful, the, you can wear something, some kind of an, uh, an an intro where you can actually smell the old nuttiness of the pages of all the books. You know that 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 nutty smell. Oh, wonderful, wonderful! We have to do that because it's not always going to be a creepy book, something that blows your mind. But maybe, you know, I have uh, I have sh books like Shutter Island that I have not read, and that's not nearly as long as this. And Shutter Island, the book, is. Is pretty classic at this point. We can do books like that, and that would tell us a lot about the uh, the times we live in and the and the people that are in the world, right? All right. But as for tonight, we are covering chapters thirty to the end of chapter thirty-three. So it's pages three twenty-one to pages three seventy-five, and um, and I ask you all. I have the thread here. You still have time to go and put some stuff in there. What do you have? What what really struck you? That's what I want to know from the people in the audience, and uh, there's not nearly as uh, as many as many uh, entries into the thread this week, which makes me hope that it's not that people are just getting all tuckered out. Don't do that. We book club means that we're all doing it together. Don't tucker out. Keep letting me know what you're thinking. We're almost there. I know that. I know that we don't do stuff like this. It's very new. But I can't tell you how how great I feel that this is holding me to read at least 50 pages of something stimulating or something new and outside of the ordinary every week. I wish I could p read 50 pages of something a day. I have some friends who do. At least 50 pages a day. I envy them. But I'll get there one day. And this is this is reinvigorating that muscle, that reading muscle. So I want to know some of your strongest observations. You can give me some analysis of the plot and it's pro how it's progressing, character arcs, uh, parallels to modern day, predictions where the book is going next. All of that is on the table. You can do that on the official thread. I will once again put it into the, uh, the chat rooms. And there you go. Here we go. Since it's all me by my lonesome, but congratulations once again to Timothy Gordon. Here's where I'm going to start, and I'll just take you through what I have. The overall theme of these three things, for me at least, is that it's just more geopolitical repositioning of pieces. But I think uh, the largest subplot forming right now is in the chapters that where we see the, the Slavic Pope's inner circle. His brain trust has gathered, and they are putting in place countermeasures and countermissions. So I think that is really, really cool. Uh, we, we actually see the, the assembly of his complete inner circle. His inner circle. We've seen everybody else. We've seen the Council of 13. We've seen the, uh, the, the, the international gathering at Strasbourg meeting. Uh, we know about how everybody is doing their thing. Then, of course, you have the actual prelates, the, the cardinals and bishops that are getting together and scheming on their own. It's all really, really fascinating. And now we see who the Pope's allies are. And what do I have here? Th page 326. I'm just going to start there and bounce around. Page 
326. What do I have marked here? So this is where they're paying a little bit more uh, direct attention to now the reports of Satanism. They're going to be sending, they, they want to do a investigation, deeper investigation into how bad the homosexuality problem in the, the, the priesthood was in the United States. But this is when they start talking a little bit more head on with there being a really serious problem of satanic ritual activity that's going on, especially in the United States. And Father Damien Slattery Damien Slattery, the Dominican, the Irishman, he is going to be a chief asset in that fight soon, it seems. It se as we all know that they're trying to push him out as the father general of the Dominican order. So this means he's going to be freed up to do some other stuff for the Pope. And it looks like he is going to be going to the United States around the stomping grounds of the Cardinal of Century City which, as we were talking about with Timothy last week and the week before, that seems to be a um, direct reference to the city of Chicago and all the problems they had out there, which is, as we're seeing here, where the, where the enthronement took place in 1963. So the cool thing about Father Damien Slattery going out to the United States, I think, is not only that he's just a great character that I just want to follow around all the time is that he is also an exorcist by trade and he's going out there to really sniff out demonic activity oh man do I hope that there's some kind of a uh, a supernatural battle with him with him commanding authority of Christ over a demon or something that, that would be a great not a prediction but a, uh, a hope forever this goes in the future but here's a little bit here's a little bit of their uh, acknowledging satanism this uh, here's a quote <clears throat> let's see here but even that isn't the total of the of the, the disaster they're talking about what how everything is going all over the church but again the epicenter appears in north america ritual satanism is a more is more and more rife among both clergy and laity so among clergy that's the big thing there Ritual Satanism among clergy. It's one thing for a person to believe that they're devout in one way, shape, or form, but they've been taught things that are completely um, heretical. It's another thing for people to be seeking out union with Lucifer. And to uh, that's, that's an incredible infiltration. I think it is the Brother Augustine who can make it clear just how deadly serious that situation is and has it as it become in the United States the organized satanist activity going on in America seems to bring us into a further dimension of unbridled evil and the pope nods what do we have over here Slat oh this is when the slattery uh, mission comes about it uh, his holiness knew slattery was right do i take it then father damien that you would limit early investigations, you would limit early investigations to what you call homosexual behavior of a general kind of the American clergy? Damien nearly popped out of his right, white robes at the thought, what I'm saying, Holy Father, is that I'm your man for the Satanist end of things. I know a bona fide case of possession when I see it. I've had enough experience with cults to know what you do or, or to know that when you deal with Satan worship, you're into demonic possession with both feet. And once my Dominican brothers hold their general chapter next March, I'll be looking for work. So that means that in March, because we this it, it goes through Christmas season in these three chapters, I believe. Uh, so just three months on the other side of that March, he's going to be voted out as Father General by his Dominican brothers, and he's. He'll be looking for work. So let me go hunt out the possessed. Oh, man, I hope it's something like that. That would add such awesome action. Just just really great action. So when I read that, I had to put it aside, and I said, hell, let's do this. So I'm stoked about that. I love that character. He continues to be badass. Th page 329, a reminder of how important the everyman is and how... Uh, 
how corrupting titles of nobility are, whether you're talking about government, uh, congregation, or whatever else. This is at the end where Father Damien is leaving. They're all leaving. His, his, uh, the, the Pope's inner trust, his inner circle, has left. They've gone about their business after a very important meeting. And not just Father Damien alone, the Holy Father watched as side, uh, uh, side by side with Gladstone, Aldo Carnesecca, Father Carnesecca, turned his steps toward uh, Via Mazzini. Said, how much different, how different such men are from my venerable colleagues in the Sacred College of Cardinals. Surely I'm not wrong to place my hope, the hope of the Church, in the fidelity of those men and in the fidelity of other men and women like them, wherever they are to be found. I want you to promise me one thing, Monsignor Daniel. The Pope let the curtains fall back against the window and turned full face to his secretary. Anything, Holiness, he said. So many men change so much once they get the purple. That's the sash, the bishophood, the cardinal, uh, just the, uh, the promotion. So many men change once they get the purple. If I am ever tempted to make any of those five, his inner circle, including Gladstone, a cardinal, stop me. Do I have your word on it? You have my word, Holy Father? Daniel grinned. Count on it. So that's just a little reminder, I think, once again, that perhaps Malachi Martin is saying that the everyman is capable of understanding right and wrong, and having completely unflappable integrity and that is the real source of strength for any world for any nation for any faith for anything so once again a reminder to us all to be like the slatteries the gladstones um at least christian now what we have here is page 331 i thought it was interesting because the other thing that's developing is Gib Appleyard, our naval intelligence friend from the United States. He's a Rosicrucian Freemason, as uh, as I, I believe we're, we're gathering here. But we get a lot more of a glimpse again of how they aren't in the loop of what is going on with the Council of Thirteen, the Strasbourg Group, uh, and, and of course the the coordination with all of the bishops and cardinals that are trying to get rid of the Pope and change the entire hierarchy of the church. There, it's obvious that the that American intelligence, Gib Appleyard in, in particular, who seems to be a Mason, he's made several very personable, uh, personal comments about his, his affiliations. They don't seem to know what the hell is going on. And in this chapter, um, they are a little bit more keen on figuring out what is going to shake out geopolitically when Boris Yeltsin comes into power in Russia, especially since the Pope was so close, a close friend of Gorbachev. So um, that's, a, that's interesting here. And 331, once again, you ha- and yet all the names that came up in Gibbs' Washington briefing with, with Vance, Bud Vance, his superior, were little more than ciphers. They didn't know if Cardinal Cosimo Mastriani was really out of the loop, as Vance had surmised. See, the fact that I saw them asking questions about whether or not Mastroianni, who is obviously a pivotal figure in the process, in merging the church with uh, perverting further and merging the church with this international European body of, you know, internationalist figures and uh, and and uh, heads of industry for them to be wondering whether or not he's in the loop or not when he's such a central figure in it all is once again a little bit of a uh, a message to you that there are hierarchies and there are levels inside of these globalist um, organizations especially our intelligence services that are not in the know and that are maybe um, getting cut out of the action or whatever. So not everybody's in on this. That's uh, page 331. And then we get Appleyard meeting with a Grand Master Mason uh, who is obviously hiding something because he, he lies to Appleyard about his knowing 
Otto Secular, who is one of those globalist types. And I think he was at the Council of 13. I think Otto was. So then we look at uh, page 347 is another marker I have here. We're moving along, just summarizing what's going on. Then I'll get into your thread, and we'll make some hopes. We'll get into some hopes and dreams for the coming, for the coming time here. Let's see. Oh, 347. Now, this is when Appleyard, the intelligence official, gets a, a, an audience with the Pope. They are talking at great length with, uh, about Russia, about how, trying to get, see exactly how the Pope is going to throw all of his support behind. They, they need the Pope to be behind Boris Yeltsin. And, to, and to, to make this be a little bit more of a smooth transition away from Gorbachev, Gorbachev also being a little bit more invested in what was the big deal about Fatima, especially what the revelations that Fatima had to do with the future of Russia, Ukraine, and the Eastern Bloc states. In fact, in the later part of these, this, these chapters, from what we gathered so far... There was a, his name was Botafuco. Not like Joey Botafuco, but a Botafuco nonetheless. Uh, he was, I, I guess, inspired or told to go and work on behalf of Gorbachev to take a picture of the third secret of Fatima in the Pope's chambers. There's an arrest scene in this. You guys probably realize that. Well, the person that was being arrested um by the uh, I forgot what the guy's name is the 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 head of security the person being arrested was trying to snap a photo of the third secret unfolded and just so that he can get it back I don't know what what that's about yet we haven't gotten to the the end of what that is going to be but now there's more referencing to the secret and obviously it's a secret that people want to know about so in page 347, you have a little bit of a back and forth between Appleyard and the Pope. On 345, you actually get a, cl uh, a glimpse of how the Pope knows he's being used. He says, um, he says, we all have been watching the sleight of hand operation, Mr. Appleyard. Presto. Now you see the USSR led by Mikhail Gorbachev. Presto. Now you see the Gorbachev Federation. Presto. Now you see the Yeltsin-governed uh, Russia. Should this Holy See collaborate in preserving that sleight of hand? So he knows. He's, he's just letting him know, I I'm going to play your game, and I'm not going to cause too many problems for you on the international scale. But I can see how, uh, I can see how I'm being used politically between dueling forces that are, obviously, they have their hand in everything from... You know, it makes you really wonder, once again... Was the so how how separate from the Soviet Union was our own country? Well, we've talked about that's a little bit rhetorical here. We've talked about that many times, and maybe one of the things that we read together for a book club, if we do a biography night, we should all do blacklisted by history, the biography that was written by uh, M. Stanton Evans. It's an insane, it's it's a thick book like this too, but it's about Joe McCarthy. This is so pivotal. I think that would be a great book club, but it, uh, it it would be dense reading. It's a little more textbookish. It's a it's a biography, but um, it's provides you everything you need to know about what happened to us as far as that infiltration goes, and it's all related, of course. Um, Three forty-seven, moving right along. Three forty-seven. Here we go. He had a lot of sorting out to do before he would be ready to make the preliminary telephone report to Bud Vance. So this is Appleyard. He had learned a lot about the le a, lear a lot, a lot of he learned a lot of lessons this morning. He said, but he still knew next to nothing about the Holy See's policy with respect to the East. So he couldn't get anything out of out of the Pope there. And then there's this: Appleyard rustled again with the problem of the Strasbourg plot to force this Slavic Pope to resign. The men at the gathering had spoken of a radical change in the topmost level of leadership in the church and of the need for a papacy that would conform to today's reality. But the more he had come to know about the Slavic Pope, the less sense any of that made. 
He couldn't imagine a more radical change in papal leadership that had already been affected by the present pontiff. And having met the Holy Father now, he was at a loss to fathom the reasoning behind such a cabal. So this is a theme that keeps coming up over and over again as we're moving through. I don't think that um, maybe what could Appleyard be missing? Because Apple Yard is a little bit on our... We have some we have some omnipotence as the reader to know what he's missing out on. We know that there is an actual attempt. There's an, a, a concerted attempt to commune with Lucifer here. That this is ritualistic. This is about transforming and consecrating the world for a demonic force. The, and to, to create a world that is antichristic you know um so but i wonder i just wonder if that's if that's really all it comes down to but it it seems like there would be even more to that so he doesn't know he doesn't know that's really something else 353 well what else we have here Oh, this is a very interesting part right here. On 348, when he's talking to Bud Vance, and they're asking about, okay, so what's his policy on Yeltsin? Is he going to stand behind Boris Yeltsin in, in Russia? And he's talking to his, uh, his higher-up here, Bud Vance. And he says, so he'll back up our pro-Yeltsin policy. Appleyard says, he can't be quoted as backing Yeltsin. He's benign. Salutary even, but he hasn't put his eggs in one basket uh, the way we have. Still, that's not to say that he won't cooperate if necessary, at least on a temporary basis. You're beginning to sound like a Vatican ambassador yourself, Gibbs. Speak English. What does that mean? Appleyard could almost see the Slavic Pope's eyes again as he laid it out for Vance. It means, Admiral, that um, if it comes to a matter of security interests... This Holy See will not find it difficult to fulfill its obligations. We can settle for that, Vance sounded pleased, but it leads to another question. I'm still concerned about Strasbourg. Did your sources in Rome give you anything more on that? Not a lot, bud. It's serious enough to be worried, though. Uh, The institution is useful to us as it stands. If somebody manages to change the way it's governed, and that's what Strasbourg was all about, after all, You can bet it would jigger our normal mode of access to a lot of things. My thinking exactly. Let's keep on it. I plan to, Appleyard's assurances to his boss seem almost glib, but it came from his heart. I practically promised the Holy Father that I'd come back to see him. I'd like to think that he'll, uh, he'll be here when I do. So here they are from the American intelligence standpoint, which is what, what you would think you would want to do if you really wanted to take over the church, especially a church of that size, power, and influence, then why wouldn't you just want to commit to the same kind of cultural degradation, degradation over here that we have in the United States, which has, has produced some of the most immoral, owned and operated puppet presidents in the history of leadership in government? Why would you get rid of the papacy altogether when you can just own generations of people who would be loyal puppets and loyal servants to a higher, darker cause inside of that papacy? Why, why the destruction of the institute itself? They're, they're worried over there at American intelligence side of things that if the Vatican starts becoming just as much of a boggled uh, bureaucracy at the top, then winning favor with one person it's so much easier, you know, and, and it's such a, uh, a a very big focal point to have that, the Pope, the Pontiff, all in white. There he is. He's the vicar. And um, I, I think that that's what they're most, they're most confused about. Why? If just as much can be done around the world for globalist reasoning and globalist uh, goals, bigger uh, goals that have been set, why are you going to ruin the actual thing here? Why not just continue to flush out anybody that is of integrity, continue to screw with the the liturgy and and dogma and all that stuff until all you have in the church 
anywhere that you look are willing water carriers for a Dark Lord. And they're really good questions there too. Questions I can't wait to I can't wait to get an answer for. So that's what we have on that end. So they're still trying to figure out why the Pope is being targeted. Now on 353, we get Chris and Paul Gladstone together for the first big scene of them together. And we were we were wondering what was this going to be about? And it was nice to see how it really was just about them enjoying each other's, uh, on a familial sense. You had uh, Christian, who was really taking to to having uh, time spent with his nephew, Declan. And it just seemed like a really nice thing. But but so quickly, there was an all-out confrontation. All all of the, uh, almost all of the cards were put out on the table. I mean, Paul just comes out very quickly to tell Chris all about his initiation at the Lodge in Israel. So, I mean, there's just nothing there. I'm sure that's going to be a nice piece of information that you can go back to the inner circle to say, I think I know um, just how deep my brother is in it now. He's been initiated by these people. And perhaps it's a little bit more of a tip as to who might be working the other side of this operation, since what he is doing for Mastroianni by canvassing all of the bishops in in Europe about the disunity, the disunity topic within the church, which is really just about planting seeds for disunity. I think he start, he has to understand though that that the mission he's been sent out for is anti-papal. And he's, uh, he's, he's working for somebody that is uh, on the dark side of things, Mastroianni. He's always had that feeling about him since the beginning. So th- this may be coming into focus for him. And despite that little exchange there, they were able to get back to their, their family outings and, and to, to carry on. There was, one, there was one point in here I thought was particularly... Interesting. This is when Chris started to realize how they were living and how really they have lost their faith and that the faith was not even being... How bad was it? Well, here, you'll see. So Chris, he started to become uncomfortable with this... with this... um, this tour they're getting of different cathedrals and and whatnot and how the people, the priests, or, or those who are looking after these churches were a little bit more... They're less reverent about what the work was depicting, all the artwork that they have there, you know, biblical pieces of work from from uh, long gone eras. And he, he started becoming a little bit more uncomfortable with the tour that they are taking out there when he was just visiting historical sites with his brother Paul, when he realized that even the priests that were looking after all these historic sites, they were really just so much more into the idea of how much art they were collecting, how much uh, uh, significance and how much value it was, and not so much about the presence and what is really being depicted there and how it relates to the faith. And he says here, uh, thinking back on it later, Christian wondered if the change that came over him as he listened to Jadot's, uh, Jadot's uh, erudite irreverence Hadn't become, hadn't begun much sooner. Perhaps the trigger had been all the questions that Declan asked on their tour of sacred places. Questions that made it clear how little the boy knew of his religion. So it's, it's not, uh, it has not been emphasized by Paul. And this is just to a level that Christian didn't know. He didn't know how bad it was. And, uh, and then of course he knows really how bad it is when they start talking about his new brotherhood and what he's been initiated in, into. And that was uh, a big thing there. What drives the cattle? Here's another thing we see at 357. This is in the middle of their, their going back and forth. They're going back and forth. Christian studied his brother's face for a moment, flushed with excitement of the utopian vision that he had just shared with such passion. It. I, I brought up... I brought up... Um, I brought up Star Wars last week, and again, I'll bring up Star Wars again, because it's, it's the same character, Anakin Skywalker. He's already been seduced, and now he's just euphoric. He says, I, I can, he believes that he's more powerful than anybody, 
He believes that he is going to be the... Uh, he's excited with what he's going to be able to do to create a new galaxy. How he's going to bring peace and prosperity to his new empire. That he can stop people from dying. That he, nothing can stop him now. He's feeling that excitement about finding a, uh, a more complete picture that had been lacking in everything that had been destroyed for him in the past in his experience in the seminary. He's found a more complete picture inside of this inside of this lodge, this Masonic lodge in Israel. And he says the, uh, and he, he goes on to say, you know, what he had to offer in return was not attractive and without grace of God never would be to those whose lives were suffused by the credo Paul had just set out. So what he was about to sell him was going to be very hard for anybody in Paul's position who had just pledged themselves to this order to hear. But he says it anyway. He says, still, there was nothing for it except to face into the issue. Look, Paul, we both know that there was not one exhortation in Christianity to build a material paradise. Humanly speaking, that's a bleak statement, but it's a fact. And even worse from your point of view is that there will never be a peace between Christianity and the world. We have God's word on that. The world is domain of the prince, Jesus told us. He told us that our reason for being on this earth isn't to build a paradise here, but to earn salvation in heaven. He told us that the only way to do, to do that is to cooperate with him, with the merits that he won for us, and that he convinced us of by his, speci his specific words and his specific works, and that he communicates to us by his sacraments. So the contrast is clear. Dedication to the attractive things of this earth or dedication to God who has seen fit to give us his laws to live by. It's a different doctrine because it runs against the tide of our passions. To take a page from the gospel, it contradicts the desires of our flesh and the, the um, oh boy, the desires of our flesh. <laughs> I can't say that word right now. I probably just grazed over it and I got the point. It demands sacrifice, pain, and loss. The beauty of Christianity, he goes on, is that it does not, I mean, it does ensure, it does ensure eternal life for all those who believe in it. It ensures that we will live in the company of God for all eternity, and that will have uh, will sh full share in his beauty, his truth, his infinite happiness. So you're right there about me, Paul. The cradle and the cross and the idea, the goal that lie behind humility and the holy poverty and the sacrifice are all still the same for me because he was he was you know coming down on Christian for I can't believe this is all the same for you it never changes it never evolves because of course he's from an evolutionary standpoint he everything needs to evolve and, and meld into one singularity and he says and I am bound to tell you Christian says to Paul I am bound to tell you that the strong the strong prohibition against membership in the lodge still stands no matter how high-minded your intention, you are in mortal sin. So that was the first. They kept it pretty cordial for brothers. You know, nobody stormed out. They were able to tidy up their little uh, engagement and, and move on. But that was the kind of an, uh, an engagement I was waiting for. And it was, it was pretty satisfying there, too. We'll, we'll see how that goes along. I wonder if there is a chance... For Christian to save Paul's soul in the end. Do you think that at the end Paul might have a turnaround? Do you think he may? Interesting stuff. Now we're almost at the end here. 366. There was an attempt on Father Aldo Carnesecca's life. We knew it was coming. He was being set up. He was being set up there, making it look like it was, it was going to be the mafia that did it because he was out to do some work against the mafia. But the readers, of course, the readers know that this is a cover for another Vatican assassination. In particular, the specific reason why with Father Aldo, not only is it going to be, you know, par for the course that he's also in the Pope's inner circle and someone that the Pope trusts, but they know they know that he was able to be exposed in any way, shape, or form, in any meaningful way, to what was going on with the ritualistic enthronement of Lucifer in 1963. He saw the materials, he understood it. 
So this is about tidying up loose ends, just like there are a number of people being murdered in the United States to tie up loose ends there as well. But now we know that Father Aldo knows as well. Not only knows that he's being set up, which he, he had trepidation and he was hesitant at first, so we know he know that he was something wasn't right about this, but now we know that he knows it has something to do with the enthronement. That's 357. He says the following, uh, But the Sicilian uh, operation was a success, Aldo, unless you think the Mafia will be after you for revenge. Surely the danger is over. This is Christian talking to Aldo. He's all beat up. He was in a very bad car accident. They thought it was the the Mafia. Carnesecca made it clear that both he and Luca Damo... Luca Damo is is the head of Vatican security. I wonder about Luca Damo how trustworthy he is only because he has a uncle who works with Apple Yard. Am I getting that wrong? He has an uncle that that works in in intelligence that is kind of connected with some globalist forces. So I wonder. <clears throat> so far he seems to be on the up and up. Maybe hey, you know you can trust Christian even though Paul is a little bit compromised right now, can you? So anyway, Let's see here. Carnesecca uh, made it clear that both he and Luca Damo were sure his accident had nothing to do with mafia vengeance. Giustino, Giustino, that's Luca Damo. Giustino has his own theory. I'm sworn to secrecy about it for now. Maybe he'll tell you about it in time. He has evidence to back this main line of thinking, but I want you to understand, Chris, that this is one time when Luca Damo may be right for the wrong reasons. Gladstone knew better than to pry into anything Father Aldo was bound to hold as a, in, uh, as a confidence, but if both Carnesecca and Lucadamo were convinced that the Mafia was in the clear in the bloody affair, then what was behind it? It's a story, a Vatican story, that dates from a long years ago, Chris. Back to the early 60s, in fact. I can't be sure, of course, but I'd say that my accident means someone means someone thinks I know too much for their comfort these days. And are they right, Chris asks? I hope you'll never have a reason to find the answer, Father Aldo said. So, um, the early 60s, you know it's about what he was exposed to. And um, I don't know if Luca Damo knows that much, but Father Aldo knows that that's probably what it is. And this is interesting stuff here, man, uh, because on the other side of things, you go into the, the United States. Now we have the United States and how it's becoming a problem for the cabal in the United States that things are not moving along quick enough. And that Dr. Channing gets a call from the capstone, the mysterious capstone. You wonder who the hell that is. Then again, we all know what the capstone is. The capstone is the eye, the eye on the top of the pyramid. So it's just weird that somebody's name is capstone. I didn't look into the character key to see who that might have been. But that's when we learn that the Cardinal of Century City is ill. And Capstone wanted to ask Dr. Channing, what the hell's going on? The process is not moving uh, along uh, well enough. This needs to continue. And that's when we learn that the Cardinal of Century City, who is a murderer, a, uh, a, a child sacrificer, a, a just real evil man, is ill and it's becoming harder to cover up all the pedophile problems in the diocese out there. Apparently there's billions of dollars and settlements that had to be put out there to be paid and things are just getting out of hand now Channing and Mastriano or Mastriani Mastriano I forget this is when they think that it would be a good idea to send Christian Gladstone out there to the United States to help move things along by pretty much continuing all the canvassing work he was doing in Europe only in the United States to push that disunity of the church stuff to move along all of the, the the opinions in the U.S., in North America, to help bring about the quick demise of the Pope and the papacy at large. So, this is an interesting thing here, because of course now we're seeing that Christian is becoming the perfect double agent. And while he is most certainly going to take the the opportunity to go back to the U.S. to do some work out there, serving as Mastriani's gopher, 
he will probably be working alongside of Damien Slattery, too, who is going to be fighting some demons. That's going to be great. So he's going to have to keep that on a, on, on a low, the, the down low, and, uh, and work side by side with him in some kind of a way that doesn't tip off to Mastriano and any other kind of, you know, uh, spies that may be on watching Christian and his behavior. You, you got to keep those allegiances pretty wrapped up tight, right? So that's what I have here, man. Um, that's what I have here. And there's a little bit more on page 366. Like they, they, there's a pretty much a little bit of a review, a little bit of a review, that they all know what's going on. Page three sixty seven. They've been all, uh, they've been at it all along, Father. Luca Damo picked up the note, the notebook from his uh, His Holiness's desk and glanced over to some pages. Quote: We haven't got all the pieces yet, but the long and the short of what we do have is this: It turns out that Strasbourg was the starting gate for a systematic in-house initiative to force the issue of Episcopal unity with the Holy See. Some mechanism has apparently been devised to organize a series of votes by the various national and regional conferences of bishops. So far, we haven't found out what that mechanism is, but we know the goal, and we have an idea of the time frame. The upshot of the votes is to be a petition. A petition for the Holy Father to resign for the sake of the church unity, and the timing seems to be geared to His Holiness's 75th birthday. So they know, everybody seems to know what's going on, and who is out to get them, and really, it's just becoming more and more intriguing, because it's just, uh, it's spycraft, but with people you would not have expected, you would never have expected such specialized priests and that's where we're at right now. That's where we are at right now. Everybody's inner circles are trying to make moves, counter moves, and keep their heads above water. I don't have anybody to play off of right now, so I'm going to go into the wonderful little responses we had on the official thread on Reddit. And then after that, I'm going to uh, wish you all a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And I, I look forward to your emails. I'll jump into the chat room a little bit there as well. Let's see here. Uh, Gardenia B says, Many emotions, this reading. Page 321. I chuckled at the Pope's remark. So many men change once they get the purple. There you go. 372. I laughed out loud in the comedy of errors as things go awry for the Cardinals. However, at some point near the end of chapter 33, I felt sickened and like crying in desperation over the ongoing machinations that have plagued our world forever, it seems. As today, honest and honesty and transparency are rare. Deceit and manipulation are the way of the world. I agree. I agree. It, it, can, it can really, really come down hard feeling like that sometimes. Let's see here. Um, Summer 711 says, It's wild how much is going on with the church's interest in Russia and Ukraine. I've never fully understood how or why the Soviet Union fell. Did it not realize to what extent patrons in the West were involved? I didn't realize. I didn't realize either. I thought that it was, it was just purely military outspending made the communist system collapse. Now, it was not a vibrant system in one way or another, but there was definitely color revolutions that were stoked in a lot of those Eastern Bloc states as well. The old Bolshevik model once again, but it worked to break up the Soviet Union into, uh, I, 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 just, I just don't know. The, the Anthony Sochi uh, uh, book, Everybody told me about that, that uh, uh, Tim told me about last time about Pope Benedict. I bought it. It came in. I read the first page, and it kicks right off. And this is from years ago. Not too many years ago, but prior to, to February 2022, where all we're talking about is Russia and Ukraine and all of the history we, we got to unearth. He's talking about all of that stuff. He's talking about Boris Yeltsin. He's talking about everything that, all of the, the, the things that are going on right now in this book. It goes back to that. Let me go to my Amazon real quick and let you know what the name of the title was. Just in case any of you want to pick that up. Because I know that after I read this book, I'll blast through that one real quick. Because it's only like 200 pages. It won't be a book club thing. It'll just be a personal. It's called The Secret of Pope Benedict XVI. Is he still Pope? 
Is He Still Pope is the subtitle. It's written by Antonio Sochi. A few of you out there already told me, yes, yes, you have to read that. Uh, the first couple of pages, I mean, I'm just enjoying, I was just enjoying the geopolitical backstories that we don't get. All we got was, we won the Cold War because good old American capitalism and blah, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, rah. And listen, uh, the American system, free markets, there is, that, that is rah, rah, rah for me. USA all the way, baby. But as far as the end of, of the Cold War and what was going on, we were given such a, um, such a very cotton candy lollipops version of the whole thing. That's all I, that's, that's what I'm taking away. I can't tell you what the, the real, I can't paint the nuances for you yet. I'm, I'm inspired now to go and, and read into it, but that's what I'm starting to realize. Summer 7-Eleven, uh, yes, is did not realize to what extent patrons in the West were involved. The Pope, upon reading Gorbachev's letters, he made it clear that he was not startled by any of the news Gorbachev had communicated, not by his coming resignation or by the impending dissolution of the Soviet Union, um, or by the involvement of those, uh, of those Gorbachev called his patrons in the West in that coming dislocation, page 323. Here's another one from 323. Christian's thoughts during the discussion of the letters also. Chris realized that when these men talked about Gorbachev's patrons in the Western world, political figures didn't hold a candle to industrialist and financial leaders of a global kind. It was enough to give new meaning to the old saying that money talks. And then finally, Summer 7-Eleven says, finally the Pope dropping the sobering opinion of the USA on Appleyard. Quote, Page 345 to 346. In abstract principle, such standards are fine. Separation of church and state is a cornerstone of your American social contract to pursue life, liberty, and happiness as the ultimate ideal. That concept is utopian, of course. Always aimed at, never achieved. It's true. Oh, it's true. It's so, um, I, I, the, the Pope is really, he's really an intelligent compelling figure. I love when people have uh, meetings with him. I can't wait for this meeting between he and Ceci. When the hell is that going to happen? Did that happen? Am I going nuts? I, did, did that happen already? Maybe I'm not remembering it. I don't know. Perhaps not. Okay, uh, and then finally we have here from Mora in New York City. Congratulations to Timothy and his wife. Prayers were sent up for a safe delivery of baby number seven. What a great day to reread these re three chapters, Frank. Stormy afternoon here in the Big Apple, yes. Quite the Irish day. Malachi Martin is a masterful storyteller. I was struck by his description of the Pope's blue eyes. I can imagine him looking at both his allies and adversaries with a kindness and understanding that that was divinely inspired. The relationships between all the characters are being nicely developed. Once again, the connection to our current geopolitical situation is uncanny. Like Mr. Gorbachev, I am wishing to know that third secret. Man, me too. Me too, ladies and gents. Me too. But, um... I might lose a lot of sleep. But maybe it's just a, just the thing that everybody needed to know. Maybe exactly why we were told that we needed to know it in 1960. That we were told it must be told to the world in 1960. And, uh, and Malachi Martin, who did read it, said that it was horrible. It was, it, it's, it's most frightening. Some of those, some of those, uh, we, we should listen to that. Maybe at the end. I'm going to find some of those conversations in the in the Art Bell the Art Bell episodes and I'll play them on a, a later session together where you can hear him just talking about it and then people start calling in with Art Bell or faxing Art Bell as well saying this is what I heard is in the third secret or I know someone who knows someone and this is the section he gave and all along the way uh, he'd say no. Then he said that if you were to have guessed he would have said yes. If, you were to, if anybody were to have guessed it during all those times in the 90s that Malachi Martin was on Art Bell's show and they came up with the exact verbiage of the third secret he would have admitted. But 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for tonight. Uh, I think that's where we're uh, we're staying on this path. Machinations, machinations, machinations. Moving pieces. What I think we're going to do is page 375. That is the beginning of pay, uh, chapter 34. 375 to 439. That is the end of chapter 28. So you'll be looking at chapter 20... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, 39... You'll be looking at chapter 39 in the face. So we're going to be going from, if you have the paperback, 375 to 439. That is chapter 34 to the end of chapter 38. So that's, again, another about 50 pages. I think that at this point, 50 pages should be all right. And I'll see uh, what we need to do to catch everybody up. But, hey, listen, these episodes of the, the book club session could, should catch you up. Oh, it's so exciting. So exciting. Thank you guys and gals for so much more than you already give me. It's the uh, it's the, the unseen. It's the shot in the arm. It's the inspiration. Thanks for all of that. And please hang around for Friday night after hours programming on quitefrankly.tv. Go there right now. Enjoy yourself. I'm going to get some food, and I'll be there before you know it. All right, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, happy reading, and I'll see you soon. Email me if you want to contribute to this, and please get to the thread and continue contributing. Because what I'm going to do is when I upload all of these to YouTube as a series, I'm going to put the thread into the description of everything so people can go there and read what you have written and, and, and respond to you, and uh, we can keep this going. And we'll do that through all the other books that we do. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great weekend.